Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Just don't touch my kids. Who run this mother? Who run this mother? Who run this mother? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Honey and Coke. I'm Sarit Packer. This is the first of our series, Who Run the World, where we celebrate women in food. Since the start of Honey & Co., women have reigned supreme. They run our kitchens, our front of house, and our offices. And we finally feel that the industry is starting to catch up with us, as women are now leading their way across the industry, not just as chefs, as food critics, as writers, as culinary teachers, TV and radio presenters, and so much more. So, with International Women's Day on the horizon, we wanted to dedicate a whole series to some of the women that inspire us every single day. Today's guest is Andy Oliver. She's the most vivacious and beautiful person we've had a chance to meet this year. The interview with her is absolutely hilarious. Itamar and I were arguing which one of us would do it, and he won. But he talked to her about her career in a punk band and how she made the transition to a chef and then to a food broadcaster. Her show, The Great British Menu, is one of our absolute favorite. If you haven't seen it, it's a competition between top chefs. You should seriously watch it. We spend hours arguing about what we would make and how we would do this. You'll be shouting at the screen like we do. I was especially fascinated by how she managed to get where she has and how she broke this glass ceiling. We're also so excited to hear that she's working on a current project, collecting recipes from all around the Caribbean. So whether you guys are in the kitchen cooking while you listen, whether you're driving or walking your dog, I hope you enjoy this episode. So tonight, guys, we are joined by the wonderful you that came to hear the wonderful Andy Oliver, Yay! who is a musician, a chef, a broadcaster, a trailblazer, and now a documenter of uh, recipes as well. Um, that's what, that's kind of historian newest, for the future. It's my newest obsession, yeah. Your newest obsession. But let's let's start from, from the beginning. Your early career was in music. Yeah. And quite like alternative, you were doing punk, you were doing, what were you doing? What were you doing, know. Andy? I don't, know. I don't know what you would really call it. But you know, it's interesting because I, we never felt like we were 
particularly alternative or be you know I was a punk I grew up in Suffolk in the 70s and you know it was like punk or die really you kind of had to go one way or another so I chose punk because I felt quite lost prior to that I was in Suffolk it was the 1970s as you can imagine it wasn't that diverse (laughs) okay so I was like the only black girl for about 100 miles you know so it was like finding something or some place that I felt like I could sit within. And the Slits and the Clash came and played in Bury St Edmunds and it completely blew my mind. And I really see that actually as the sort of spark point for most of my life because I was, oh, because I used to start thinking, why, why can't you just do whatever you like? Why do you have to do what all these people tell you? And then mm. I went to the slits of the class and they went, you don't have to. And I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. And so I, was, tells you I this. knew it. I knew it. Nobody told me, but I found out anyway. And I was absolutely thrilled. And, and it sort of set me on a path of sort of trying to claim my fire and hold on to it and, and to really seek out that in myself, actually. And I, so I think punk for me was a really important moment and and then when I came to London and I met Nana Cherry who's you know my sister friend she absolutely introduced me to real liberation actually as a young woman because she came from this real hippie jazz jazz like proper jazz kind of life background and and then we met each other and sort of fell in love and kind of it was like we found a reflection of ourselves in each other in some kind of way. And that friendship really gave us the strength to be whoever we needed to be. You know, we would take our shoes off and tuck our dress into our knickers and dance and just go nuts, basically. (laughs) But it was... It was like medicine. It wasn't like for the, oh, we're so crazy. It wasn't really like that. It was more just like a desire to run that fire out and to really try to put a name on it and try to really find our own language and our own way through, basically. I love that line, run that fire out. (laughs) It was a bit like that, though, and I think we were like that for a long time. Was there a, a model or was there someone or something out there that you said, this is what we need to be? Or was it all completely new territory? Um, I think uh, in part it was completely new territory. The other day, Nana's, Nana has three daughters and one of them, Mabel, is a like, really big pop star now. And she, we were at her record album launch the other day. And it was, there was all these amazing young black girls everywhere, really groovy. And Nana looked at me and she went, do you remember when it was just us? And I said, <laughs> I do, yes. Weeks to go out, you know, and it was just, it was a kind of, that in one way there was like crashing through some sort of thing. In another way, it's a spirit that's been around for decades and decades. You know, people like Betty yeah. Davis and, you know, all those jazz greats, Alice Coltrane. And, you know, some of those women were just extraordinary. And, you know, Nikki Giovanni, a poet like Nikki Giovanni, a writer like Toni Morrison. It's not just about one path. It's about an attitude to living. And I think one of the things what I, what I started to say when I started talking about when I met Nana and I met her family was that I realised there was a universe of people who were my people, who also didn't want to do what as they were told, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Your, so your clan was, is out there. Yes, my clan. And when we all have a sort of tribal way of living in the world, don't we? You know, yeah. you kind of move towards, you seek out people that you recognise or mirror you in some kind of way or that inspire you. Uh, it just sometimes takes a little longer to find them. 
So you were doing music. You got somehow into music TV presenting. You got into that yes, kind of yes. Yes, I side did a I did a show called Badass TV with Ice T, <laughs> which was on Channel Four. Do you remember what was it called? Euro something. There was a there was a Euro weird trash. show. Euro trash. That's the one. Thank you. Good job you're here. And uh, it was like a kind of black version of Euro trash. People got very upset about it because there was it was really inappropriate. <laughs> But in the best possible way, I think. You know what I mean? I like things to be a bit inappropriate. Um, you need, if you're not inappropriate, oh God, if you're, you're not inappropriate, what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so people got a bit upset about it, but it was the best fun. I had the most hilarious time with Ice T, who spent most of the time having his ponytail tonged, let me tell you that. <laughs> Not really that gangster, but anyway, he was a really funny guy. I mean, that is gangster. It's, it's that pretty is gangster. It's gangster. pretty deep, guys. You know those yeah. guys with the rollers in there yeah. and stuff. Uh, and he was he was really funny. We just had a really hilarious time doing it. And I think from then I kind of moved between doing that and a bit of radio and a bit more TV here and a bit more radio there. And I realized that for me, it all comes from the same place: making music broadcasting, making food, whatever it is. It's about your own truth and finding your own voice and finding a way to express yourself in the most effective way possible. And that can be through a plate of food. It can be through a song. It can be through a dance. It can be through a really little lunch with your family or, you know, wherever. As long as there's breath and truth in it, then then you'll feel good. I mean, That's kind of what I worked out. Let's talk about the food, because now you're kind of most recognised for, for your work in the field of yep. food. Was this always there? or Food's always been always, there. It's, it's always, always, been. always, always been there. We were talking downstairs and I yeah. said that Nana and I were very weird. I mean, we were teenagers, really. And, you know, we'd be having going to have a party. And then the guys came in and they'd be like, what is that in the bath? You're like, it's mackerel. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Why are there 60 mackerel in the bath? It's like, oh, we're making this great dish we saw, <laughs> you know, and that's not normal for 18 year olds. Yeah. I don't Everyone's think. Everyone's like, have you, heard, have you heard of salted peanuts? Do you know or? what I mean? Like, what are we having dinner? We're like, we're making coconut rice and a really great Thai mackerel thing. And we're making, you know, we would lie around reading cookbooks to each other down the phone or like, on, you know, wherever. It was just like our another escape route and another way of finding beauty, I think, and simple beauty, because that's the great thing about cooking, isn't it? It's the alchemical nature of cooking that I love, that you can take two things or three things that don't sound like they should be together and create some new explosion that is just a sort of moment of wonder on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And we all need a moment of wonder on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday afternoon. afternoon more than any other moment. More yeah. than any other moment. Well, it's the aside, from, aside from Wednesday morning. Oh, that's, that's a, a whole other story. <laughs> a whole other story. So I, I think when Nana and I, we did a cooking show together on the BBC, on the BBC, yeah. and uh, had the most amazing time. And then she went back on tour and I was like, I'm really into this. So I started doing supper clubs. Around East London, we did this thing called the Movable Feast. And my boyfriend, my partner, had used to have a place called um, Cordy House, which was on Curtin Road, before Shoreditch became yeah. daftly, ridiculously fancy pants and expensive, but it was still dirty and great and you know, inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. We're back to inappropriate again. But he had, it was a sort of double-fronted 
building and it was like five floors of warehouse right in the middle of Curtin Road. They basically rented it for about five pounds a year. They just let them have it, turned it into a kind of art collective space, Mutoid uh, Britain, Mutoid Waste Company. Mutate this is Britain. not something that you can imagine in London these days. No, you couldn't get that yeah. space. It was just like, I think it's turned into some really weird, creepy adult bull park. <laughs> I went past it the other day and I was Needless like, what say, has yeah. happened? Yeah. No, he's weird. Anyway, that I, I, really I freaked me out. I, was I like, what's going on? I know the building, but there's probably a brewery in the basement. There's probably a brewery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some like artists and brewery in the yeah. basement. But we, you know, so there we could do all sorts of things because there was, there was rooms of all shapes and sizes. We did one, we did like a sort of psychedelic village fate on the roof uh, for one of them, like a Mexican. It was insane, but great because uh, we had space. We could experiment. You could play. You could do whatever you want. And I think... That actually is something that was constant throughout most of my young life in London. There was always space. You know, we started, we used to do um, like warehouse parties in the back of King's Cross in a street called Battlebridge Road. And we used to have the best parties. It was a pound to get in, pound for a beer. You pay the police, you pay everybody. And, the, you know, it was great. And and the parties would go on all night and nobody cared because who cared about the back of King's Cross in the, in the 80s? Nobody well, I'll tell you who now. now. <laughs> now. It's Facebook that cares. Because yeah. they own it. <laughs> exactly. So you kind of exploded into the world of food and so much energy went into that. You did your supper clubs. Yeah. You got into food broadcasting food quite quickly. Broadca- really quickly. Yeah. I was sort of really quickly. I mean, we, you know, I, we did a couple of pubs. We had a pub on Columbia Road and then my friend got another pub in Homerton and then we did the restaurant for that pub in Homerton for a while. And then we were doing like people's weddings and different little pop-up things here, there and everywhere. And then one day I got a call there was a weird program on ITV called Food Glorious Food that lasted one series. And uh, I went and did a guest judging because Hugh, what is that guy's name? No, the other dude that makes pasta sauce. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking like Paul Newman. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Lloyd Graceman couldn't do it one week. So they all rang me and said, will you come and do this thing? So I said, yeah, okay. Went and did it, had a really good time. And then just obviously forgot about it, whatever. Five years later or something, I got a call from two people who had, they had basically tried to give me Lloyd Grossman's job and I too insisted that it was Lloyd Grossman. I didn't even really know about the drama. They were runners then and then they'd come right up and they were executive producers on Great British Menu and called me up and said, will you come and have lunch? Uh, we want to talk to you about being a guest judge. And I thought, that's a fancy for one little day. Think, sure, sure. Went and had lunch and they said, the executive producer is coming. I was like, really? But hey, lunch is okay, lunch. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we going? Fantastic, I'll see you there. And, Where are we going? Uh, I don't care, it's I don't lunch. care, it's lunch. <laughs> and they said, uh, well, Prue is leaving and do you want her job? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Sorry to just offer me Prue Lee's job. And they did and they had and I had a couple of other dinners. It was very nice. They just kept feeding me. And then I started. And then I got to eat. You haven't stopped with lunch. I haven't since. stopped eating since. I want to ask you more about that in, in a second. <laughs> but this whole area up until very, very recently was completely male dominated. Yeah. The whole area of food broadcast. Yeah. I can't think of anyone except Nigella. My... Well, there's Delia, Nigella, Fanny, Corolla Fanny. But you think, you know, a lot, you know, the master chef, you know, is, you know, Monica Galetti, of course, was 
you know, amazing with the eyebrows. It's changed our world. <laughs> but it, it is still the majority is, is, man, is this a reflection of the industry of food or a reflection of the TV industry? I or, think it's or? both. Yeah. I think it's a reflection of both. And I think that as women, we've been allowed a sort of, it, I mean, interesting, you know, Fanny Craddock, kind of a cartoony character. Delia, also a bit of a cartoony character. Even Nigella, who I love side, and adore. Yeah. But there's a way that Nigella is talked about and and framed within the food industry. Not so much now, but certainly pre- previously, yeah. that was based on a lot of it on her sexuality all the time. The woman's like an incredible cook. She's making this amazing food and you're talking to me an about... An incredible writer. Well, and well, a writer. Why are we talking about whether she yeah. sucks her fingers or not? I don't care. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think that as women, we're quite quickly pushed into some sort of cartoon role version of ourselves, you know. So I think that there's been a moment internationally, actually, I think all over the place, women are coming through with our own voices and our own decisions and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things. And I think in the food industry, actually, the whole street food sort of explosion has opened up so much for people. It meant that you didn't have to have backers. You didn't have to have huge amounts of money to start a restaurant. You could get a van, literally, and kit it out and start you doing your duck rolls. Establishment. You didn't need to be established. You could start, and you also didn't need to have come through one particular route, you know, classicism, so-called classicism, which I have an argument about anyway, because, you know, when people go, well, I'm a classic cook. He's like, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Do you mean you, you were taught French cookery? That yeah. doesn't mean you're a classic cook. It means you know how to cook French food. Yeah. You know, there's people all over the world making no, also, classic Caribbean food, yeah. classic Africa, you know, all over the continent of Africa, all over Italy, all over Spain, making incredible food. You're not a better chef than them because you put more butter in. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, no, there's no, like, there's kind of a, kind of a, an imagined hierarchy. Yes. Which I take, no, which is nonsense. I yeah. mean, it is nonsensical. And actually, interestingly, when, when I do Great British Menu, that's really evident because there are people who sometimes have come through that route and, you know, they fall at the first hurdle because there's a lot of creativity involved yeah. and you have to be innovative and you have to be able to think on your feet. And sometimes people who come through quite a rigid form of training aren't able to do that because they've they've had it beaten out of them you know it's like they're taught to but also it's a different it's a different mindset yes absolutely because it's just about precision and you know there's a beauty to it Mm -hmm. then people who've like come up and trained for years and years i absolutely have the utmost respect for them but it's not the only way this is what i I always (laughs) think about the world of food and the the conversation about food is that it's a, a true democracy in yeah. a sense of course there is you know there's the, the financial element and all politics go into it but it's open to everyone it's, it's not, open to everyone no and i think class it's system there. like anything it's about the detail isn't it you know when i walked in here i've never been here before and i walked in here crazy? and i went i am i am what is, where have you been all your I've life i've been tired yeah. i told you i was saying to him i've never been here. he said what do you mean and i said well you know i get like people go do you want to go out for dinner i'm like not really <laughs> like do you want to go out for a drink i'm like not really so what do you want to do lie on the floor actually yeah. i'm exhausted and have a little cry and like a, a normal cry yeah and watch Laura like and a human being like, yeah, yeah exactly so but you know the first thing i noticed when i walked in here was the detail it's like beautiful little gorgeous things, the shells and the little spices. And I just got like, <gasps> it's like a treasure trove in here. It's just wonderful. And that to me is sort of the, one of the most perfect things in, in the world. You walk into something, you just want to stay yeah. and dig <laughs> and discover. And yeah. this is a real 
beautiful thing. Yeah, it can do a lot of damage to yeah, your wallet. Yeah, I could I real, real, far, yeah. real fast. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really I'm happy that um, it's my shop because otherwise it would destroy me. You would just me. be here all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise I would be destroyed here. I'll be ruined. I know. I'm, I'm going to get those spoons. Uh, <laughs> see, look, look, they're by your head. See, look, up, up, to the left, the little gold the little spoons, spoon. look. How you, cute are you, they? You don't have a home if if you don't have tiny gold spoons. I need spoon. tiny little gold spoons. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I do it. love a good spoon. Yeah. It's as long important. As it's tiny, holy, and golden. Yes. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But uh, I want to go back to yeah. British menu because yeah. me and Sarit have been watching every single season. And we're, we're the ones that are like, get super competitive. We shout at the screen. <laughs> we do that in the Bake Off as well. But the, the Great British Menu is our original yeah, love. People get very, yeah. very impassioned over the chefs that they love. I do. I start thinking they're all my children. I get really maternal because they put so much into it. And, you know, I find them crying in the hallways sometimes, you know, when they haven't got through. And it's because it's tough. And they are tired and they have people pointing cameras at them and asking them stupid questions all week. And they just, you know, when they, when they go through all that and they get to the end and then they don't get through, it's like heartbreaking. Yeah. So every week we break someone's heart. 
Yeah, and these, these are isn't that terrible? And but you also make top, someone happy. The, these are people at the top of their game. Top of the game who are used kitchens, to winning. They are gods, and they are gods. They are yeah. used to winning everything yeah. always. Most of them, so they yeah. they very rarely in competition with each other. Great. And this is the, the nation watching. And the nation watching. This is the fifteenth <coughs> season, and so some of the chefs on there now sort of grew up watching it and wanting to be on it. Yeah, for me, I think it's it's. Amazing. And actually, I think the impact it has on the industry is incredible. But what I really wanted to ask you, yeah. do you eat all this stuff? Oh, right. So I have a, I have a method. Okay. <laughs> because you have to, and especially in finals week, because you have eight chefs. Starters are okay. Fish is okay. You get to mains. By three, you're like, oh, my God. How many more? And then you get dessert day. And dessert day is actually the hardest because of all the sugar. And Matthew looked at me and he went, oh, I long for something savoury. I long for a sausage. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, Matthew. Uh, Matthew Fort, who is one of the best human beings in the world, by the way. So after that first year, when I didn't listen to anybody, I now have three bites tops of everything. Because you can't. No. You just can't. Three bites is enough to be able to have everything on the plate and to be able to evaluate it fairly and properly. And then you have to stop to make yeah. sure that you're fair as well. Yeah. And that, because you, know, you, you, you want to do... No, but you want to you give them their dues and you want to do Because they work justice. so hard. Yeah. It's incredibly important that yeah. to me. And this because... is actually what I, I, I do love is that the Great British Menu always respects the chef so much. Yeah. It must be such a privileged position. I mean, you have the best of the country. You must gets so much as a cook. It's inspiring. It's really inspiring to be around a whole bunch of other cooks who are at the top of their game and who are really pushing their creativity because it really makes you think about, oh, maybe I could take the cardamom and we could make a infusion you know my brain does start going you do start to think about different ways and the other the other thing of course is that it goes the other way as well when you realize that there's something like last year it was meadow sweet meadow sweet doesn't even really taste of that much people are oh you can really taste the meadow sweet i'm like can you or are you are you just imagining that you can because it doesn't really taste of very much sweet a lie we tell ourselves meadow sweet is is the lie we all tell ourselves yes so every year there's something you know I'll see, but for Oliver's most hated thing. I love that because you go, you see it on the menu. You make a good curd out of it. And you'd be like, I want to taste that. This is amazing. (laughs) No, this is atrocious. Why did anyone, like, there's a reason you don't find it in Sainsbury's. There's a reason. There's a reason they don't sell sea buckthorn all over the place. Oh my God, what is up with sea buckthorn? The only thing, and it's so fiddly and annoying, but I have made a really nice curd out of sea buckthorn. And the reason it was good is because you can't taste the sea buckthorn anymore. Because with enough cream and sugar, yeah, even yeah, sea buckthorn, even sea buckthorn is, is great. Exactly. No, I'm not joking. I think it's just a pretty color, and yeah. that's it. Nobody just wants sea buckthorn. Uh, I can do this all night. Yeah, we can. <laughs> we might start on the wine in a minute. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about your food. Actually, okay. we are gonna. I've, I've been cooking Andy's food. I've been harassing her on the phone all weekend, <laughs> no, nice. which I feel really bad about. No, it was but nice. I just really wanted to get it right. Oh, can I say actually? So for me, it was quite difficult to not come in because I was like, "Oh, he's making Johnny cakes." So I'm like, "Well, I'm coming in. I'm gonna." Yeah. Like, no, leave the man alone, Andrea. You sent him the recipe. He's, he's a cook. He knows what he's doing. And I'm just like, I'm so controlling. I really him. wanted you to come, but I was like, oh, you know, I we always come. Come. I was, we, I was like, I was. <laughs> 
Why didn't you come? I didn't because I didn't want to bother you. I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to be so annoying. I, I was texting her videos of my Johnny Cakes and she texted me videos of her mom making it. <laughs> and I was saying, this is, but we... we, made we some good, he's made yeah. good Johnny Cakes, people. And now I do. Now I do. I, do you know what Johnny Cake comes from? Johnny Cake comes <laughs> from uh, Journey Cake. So they used to make, they're basically fried dumplings. But I think most people are used to Jamaican fried dumplings, which are really big and they're deep fried. And a, a Johnny Cake is an Antiguan version or a bake, some people call them. And they're much smaller and they're pan fried. They were called Journey Cakes because people would take them to the fields to work. And so you'd get the Johnny Cake and you'd get like a little salt fish or you'd get something and that would be like your packed lunch, basically. So that's why it's called a Johnny Cake. Talk to us about Wadadli Kitchen. Am I saying it Yeah, correctly? you are saying it right. So Wadadli yeah, This is your latest baby. This is my latest project that I, I no. love so much because it's about history. And, and to me, it's such an interesting way to learn about who we are, where we've come from, is through food because it's the simple sort of baseline that we all understand and we all sort of share all the time. So what I realised about a year or so ago, when people talk about Caribbean food, what they generally mean is one quite crap version of Jamaican food that you can get from most takeaways here, like a bit of overcooked, dry microwave jerk chicken, some dry, not very good rice and peas with tinned peas, which drives me nuts, by the way. And peas are like, it's it's uh, bean, like pulses, like red beans or black eyed peas or black peas. Also, I suddenly realised that, you know, there are like 7,000 Caribbean territories and everybody has a different version of Caribbean food. Everybody has their own cuisine. In Antigua, we have vinidalish, we have dukana, which is like a white sweet potato, coconut steamed dumpling and banana mm. leaf. We have Johnny Cakes, we have Pepper Pot, we have all sorts of things that nobody outside the Caribbean or people outside of Caribbean homes have really heard of. And the only ubiquitous dish really is jerk chicken, which is a made up thing anyway that came later. So I started putting together recipes uh, from all over the Caribbean, from Antigua, from Trinidad, from Barbados, from Guyana, from, you know, Barbuda, which is a little island just off of Antigua. Next year, I'm going to start going to the Caribbean and talking to lots of different oh, people. I know oh, I'm very brave. Oh, I'm very, very brave. Someone's going to do Thank it. You Someone's so going to do it. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing it for us. I am a very kind yeah, woman, we're right? Gonna, we're going to pass a little hat for everyone to help Andy. Well, tiniest violin. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I sort of, I was in Jamaica a few years back, and uh, which is where my partner comes from. And uh, it was just the saddest thing. There was a man selling the best chicken, barbecue, jerk chicken, on the side of the road. And it was like, good chicken. You know, you can smell it. I know good chicken from two blocks away. And before I've even seen it, I'm like, someone's making good chicken. I can smell it. Yes, the ninja. I am a ninja. How did you know? And, uh, the chicken ninja. The chicken ninja. <laughs> It takes one to know one. Exactly. Yeah. So. Exactly. So I was like, wow, that guy's making great food. And I sort of got there and there was like four people. And I turned around and a block away, there was a Kentucky. And the queue for the Kentucky came down the steps, down the street and around the corner. And it was so depressing. And I just was like, oh, we cannot, we cannot do this to ourselves. Because when you throw away food the, the recipes to me that's throwing away ourselves it's like throwing away the heart of our culture this is the reason those things are important is that our food history tells us about ourselves it tells us where we've been the influences throughout caribbean cooking are like indian and portuguese and chinese and 
uh, French and from all over the world because so many different people have been through the Caribbean, some for the good, some for the bad, but they've left behind traces of themselves in the cuisine yeah. and in all the food, you know. So the dish we've done tonight, the vinidalush, I discovered it a couple of years ago because my mother said to me, oh, I used to have this pork dish when I was a kid and I really, really wanted it. And she couldn't remember what it was called and she kept describing it to me. And I was like, what is this thing? And then about two weeks later, she called me up and she went, it's called Vinidalush. And then I started <laughs> trying to Google it and I couldn't find it anywhere. You can't find it. I you tried. can't find yeah. it. He tried. It's just nowhere. So then I called my cousin and I've got, as I told you earlier, I've got like 180 cousins. So I picked the right one, thankfully. Called my cousin Junior. And said, it's like Junior. going through the phone Yeah, book. yeah. Like, oh God, who's going to know? Who's going to? I always go to Junior though because he always knows. So I called Junie, he's called Baden, and I said, Junie, would you know Vinidala? She went, oh, yeah, man, and sent me this recipe. And it's basically, it just means it's meat that's been marinated in vinegar. That's the starting point. So in Antigua, it's Vinidalus. In Portugal, it's called Vinidalus. And in Asian culture, it's called vin Vindaloo. So it's the same dish but that's what's fascinating to me is that you can take that one dish and suddenly understand that Portuguese have been there and then the Indians were there as well. And the mixture of all of those things came up with something new. And I'm not really very purist about, like I had a gooseberries, you know, my, my aunt would probably have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Gooseberries in the Vinidales, but it's gooseberries. So, uh, and I just thought it's acidity. Let's put some sweet and it's acid in there. That's why we decided on the berries, wasn't yeah. it? So I think that it's not a holy grail. You don't find the recipe and go, right, that's the way you make Vinidales. You take it and that's your starting point. And then you put your voice in yeah. it and your dream and your breath. You keep the spirit of it. Yeah, you keep the spirit and then make it your own. I think you must. I think it's really important. You I mean, know? It's, it is delicious. It I is delicious. <laughs> it is delicious. It is really, really tasty. I have just like a couple more questions and yeah. we're going to feed you guys, of course. Then they get like, very <laughs> hangry. Hangry, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take also, the lock off that door. You <laughs> <laughs> made it a run for it. They're right? also ninjas. <laughs> also I mean, ninjas. Also right, ninjas. Okay. No, one, once we start talking about the food, we need to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you you kind of carved your own path in a way. Do you feel that a lot of doors were open to you that weren't have been open or or a lot of doors were closed to you that were open to men, say, or doors that were open to you that were only open to you because of your unique life experience? Because this is our woman series. This I think, you know, I know, I understand what you're asking me. I think that, I think this is what happens whenever change is afoot is that the old guard, whoever they are, become very protective about their territory and their mm. space. So you look up and you think, oh, my God, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> and it's like, because you're not them and you're not who they expected to come next. Mm. So they can get a little bit, but, you know, you just charm them up. I just you, sweet you charm them. them up. I just sweet them, yes. <laughs> you charm them up. Just nice them up. You know, Nana's dad taught me that, actually. Just, like, kill them with kindness, kill them with love. And, you know, in the end, they just have to relax and breathe and know you're not after them. You're just with them. And that's all right. You're not trying to take their space. You're just trying to have some of your own. Yeah. You know? I have to say, I was uh, last week... Uh, at the, uh, was it 40 years to the food Oh, the uh, food program. program. Yeah, which Andy hosted and everybody was there, like all the all the food really people. Fancy pants. And this one was wearing a gorgeous red t-shirt, can I call it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of leg, high heels, strutting her stuff, 
on the stage running the whole show. Yes, dear. Running the whole show. Mm -hmm. Your establishment. Apparently so. You've you, you are so. establishment. You said that to me earlier. I find that so peculiar as a concept. But I guess so. I mean, you know, the establishment feel? changes, doesn't it? You see, the kind of component parts change every every once in a while. And uh, if it's changed and I'm now one of the component parts of that establishment, then good. No, yeah, absolutely. Good, because they need some fire. Yeah. And they need new breath and they need new air. Esta any establishment always yeah. does. I mean, that's the problem with it being, you know, with an established sort of uh, set of mores and codes and ways, ways of doing things. It can't stay that way. Change is inevitable. Change is good. So when change comes along and you're on your horse, then hold on tight. And how does I it say, feel for you personally? I feel great. <laughs> I do though. I feel fantastic. You know, all my life people have said to me, oh, you're so powerful, Andrea. And I think, what are you talking about? <laughs> I feel terrible I'm skin. I've got, you know, it's a nightmare. And now, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I am. I'm good. I feel great. I can, you know, I feel like I've got the chance finally to use my whole brain and my whole spirit and my whole everything. And that's what people want from me rather than a pared down version of me. Because I think for a long time, there was a bit in the middle where I would do things and people go, that's really great, but I'm still a bit scared of you. <laughs> and now they're like, oh, give me more, give me more. So I, you know, and I've got more to give. So it just feels fantastic. And I want to write now and... You know, we did a literature festival, my daughter and I, the other day at Cheltenham, that was the best fun ever. And working with my daughter is just such a gift, honestly. So I just feel like life is great and I want to stand tall in it and let the sun rain down on me and I'm man, enjoying every second. Man, man, what are you going to say? <laughs> Can we end in any other way? Wow. That interview was part of our series, Who Run the World? Celebrating Women in Food. Our final episode will air on the 8th of March. It's International Women's Day. Thanks to our guest, Andy Oliver. Thank you also to all the incredible women of Honey & Co., especially Louisa Cornford. She helps us with everything podcast, and to Miranda Hinckley, the producer. Drop us an email with your thoughts, feedbacks, questions. You can email us at podcast at honeyandco.co.uk or you can find us on social media at Honey & Co. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get the rest of the series. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.